All right, there we go. Let's get started. I don't even know if to, I want to do the standard sort of... Uh... Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I can put the music in later. I, or maybe you're listening to this as the music's already happened. So what am I doing? What's going on? Android's Dungeon. You're listening to Android's Dungeon, maybe on CFRU uh, FM 93.3. <laughs> it feels like I haven't done this in forever. I'm so rusty. Uh, a show about board games, movies, music, video games, whatever has happened to us when we walked in the studio. But uh, lately, there's not been too much studio walking since um, I'd say most of the walking each of us is doing is going to be, for me, it's walking the dog repeatedly every day. Uh, Joel, how much walking are you doing these days? A ton. I just walk around in circles all night. <laughs> not, no joke i'll just walk you know down the park along the river back up, <laughs> just back walking up. around at night and then i get back home <laughs> and then i'm like well what do i do now so i just, I just walk walk. the same loop again <laughs> oh my god so when we were here hear ports about a crazy man uh, <laughs> walking around in circles down He's by past the my house five times <laughs> harry what about you I think I made this uh, same joke the last time we recorded, but I've never walked more in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, the last disgusting. Stunk, so. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been good. Getting more exercise or not, but uh... yeah, definitely getting more exercise. Well, not playing soccer. I don't know. It's like the actual the fitness part is is low, like as far as uh, doing weight training and stuff. But you know, just walking around constantly is For sure. something, I guess. Spend more time <laughs> being outside just to be outside because I can't stand <laughs> being inside any longer. Yeah, I think, uh, and I was asking Kayla about this because uh, uh, I'm not going to go too far into it because I think both you guys both can breathe this. But thinking about how um, if the parks are going to get slammed as soon as they're open again with people who just desperately want to get outside and do stuff in uh, the outdoors. Same with all these um, music festivals in the summer and whatnot, assuming that this current, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, crisis, pandemic, is, is has loosened up enough for people to actually go out and do stuff? Or do you think, uh, do, do you guys think that it's going to be nuts with people just booking everything they can to do things outside? I'm just going to stay and play board games. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I do think that like parks, parks and beaches will be extremely full. Yeah. Um, I think people maybe will be more wary about going to uh, events or even just like out to a bar, for instance, though. Yeah. Everybody we'll wants to know: Is Hillside still on? I saw a sign out that I don't know if it's been there since last year, but. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, the uh, it'll be interesting to see if. Um... Because I, 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 that's why I was kind of asking, because I saw that Hillside. Yeah, I wonder if Hillside's going to have a crazy good year, just because everyone's so desperate to do something that they're like, well, I, I mean, I guess I'll do Hillside, just because it's something to do. The real question is, will Gen Con still be on? And if Gen Con right. isn't on, are we going to go to Essen? <laughs> they have not yet canceled Gen Con. <laughs> that's bold. <laughs> Which uh it's definitely getting there. It's like supposed to be the, the August long weekend, so in yeah, end of July, first week of August. Yeah. And uh we're Did getting close. Have you guys been getting emails from them at all about uh the status? There's something posted on their website, but I think that's it. Otherwise they're 
pretty quiet. Keep it close. Yeah. My Western Empires game was approved for review. When was that? So it was approved to be reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. So I guess yeah. it's good enough for them to think about saying no to you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's kind of a compliment in itself. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Uh, lots of Dominion Online still. Still okay. good. It's great to just you know jump in 15, 20 minutes, low commitment. I actually managed to play two games at once the other day. Oh they were like six-player six games, so you know, you're sitting there waiting a lot. Yeah. I uh, managed to play Scythe, like the pay-for version on Tabletop Simulator, which was pretty sweet. What was that like? Uh, really pretty. You know, like uh, they put a lot of work into it. Oh, you cool. click click the button and it does all the setup for you. And nice. They have up animated mechs. And your power and everything. What's that, Harry? They have like fancy animated mechs. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, it's it's funny because Jack was talking about this for something else. I can't remember. Uh, oh yeah, um, Twilight Imperium. Why they don't just make that an actual game, right? Instead of like making people pay for Twilight Imperium on t- Tabletop Simulator, uh-huh. it's complicated enough that it it um, it borders on a video game. Totally, and they do have they have a Scythe video game that's not. Yeah, I think like it's not a paid version within Tabletop Simulator. It is just standalone Scythe Digital Edition. Yeah, it's I'm pulling it up right now because uh, I've had it wishlisted for a while, but for some reason it just uh, I I don't know if it's gotten better, but definitely was uh, I think rough at the start. Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's still a board game. Like I don't think it has a you know fancy animated movement of mechs or anything, but. has anyone played the uh, Gloomhaven game yet? Oh, uh, Curtis has. Curtis has. He just said he was dying all the time level one. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. It is still early access, so I've been holding on. Yeah. Because I just don't want to play it. You think you'll times. pick it up? But yeah, I really do think I'll pick it up. What about you, John Boy? What have you been playing? Uh... I've I've been fortunate enough to get a, a decent amount of board games in. It's usually on the weekend. That's the only time when uh, I can sit down and really commit to kind of playing some stuff. So um, I think I posted about the, the main haul of them on our Facebook group, which uh, might as well just give it a shout out now if you haven't. Uh, just sign up to the Guelph Board Game Group. You don't have to Guelph be Guelph. Board Gamers. <laughs> just do it. Uh, but um, I got to play... Scoville, which I haven't played in a long time, and I was because Kayla went downstairs, she came back up with some stuff, and one of which was Scoville, and I was excited to see it, and I was a little apprehensive because when I haven't played a game in a while, I'm like, oh, I remember how to do it, but it's really simple once you just like kind of like, oh yeah, that's right, I know, I remember what I'm. It's all about just placing peppers down, picking them up, and it's just super pretty, and it's, I'd say it's a perfect summer game. It's very lazy, and it even kind of fits the theme of that stuff. Uh, and then we played a game again, something we haven't played in forever, Parfum, which is a game all about making perfume. Uh, I don't know what era it's supposed to be. I'm going to say the 18th century, uh, maybe 19th century. And uh, it's a dice chucker, and you're throwing these dice down. You're trying to make certain combinations. So you can buy the recipes off the dice, and then you turn those into perfume bottles, and you sell them to customers. And it's, it's actually it's pretty cute. I think it's very light. Cool. And the... Uh, 
kind of hits a couple of notes that people like. And I sincerely believe if they rethemed it or maybe just cleaned it up a bit and, uh, and put in a smaller package, it could be something that was pretty popular because the theme itself is pretty basic. I think I've heard about that one before. That's like the 18th century one where you make perfume out of dead people. Ah! Right? <laughs> <laughs> there are that was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was some Caverna, which we've talked about enough past. And even think about having a conversation about it right now. Still, we had a good time. Give me in now. And then Via Nebula, which is uh, something we haven't played in a while, but uh, I had uh, the, the reason I'm going to talk about Via Nebula for a bit is just because I had a moment there that uh, doesn't happen to me too often. But in case you don't don't know the game, it's uh, you're basically building up roots and you're exp- opening up resources. But in the very Wal- Martin Wall gameplay, roots can be used by anyone. And uh, resources can be used by anyone. So if you open up something, you got to make sure that you can take advantage of it because your opponents are just going to be sitting there saying thanks. And then if you're playing with larger amount of players, theoretically you could open something up and it's all gone before you get your turn back. So anyway, in this one, you got to build bases where you bring your resources back to. And I wasn't thinking she was going to be doing it because she doesn't normally play like that. So I was keeping this uh, base spot unbuilt on. So I'm setting up these moves ahead, and all of a sudden, Kale just slaps down a base right where I needed it to be. <laughs> and I just looked at her, and there was this moment that hit me where it's like, and this doesn't happen often, but it's like, that's unfair. And I could I could feel the resentment brewing inside of yeah. me over something like that. She uh, was playing you the whole time. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, honestly, it was great to see, because I probably would have done something like that. To me, so it was good to see. Cool. But um, yeah, those, that's the board game side of stuff. Nice. It is a. It's like a big, I think, topic of contention. Those moments of of unfair. It yeah, can yeah. sometimes be a lot of fun to be on the side of the one doing the unfair things. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, yeah, there's definitely this feeling. This very unfun feeling of being on the receiving end sometimes. Well, and the part of it too is it's it's totally my fault. I forgot what I was supposed to be. Uh, you need to even build this stuff, and it wasn't until afterward I'm just looking at the board, and I see her slapping something down in this space I've been building up around. And, you know, it's totally my fault, but at the same time, it did not feel good. <laughs> Which is, uh... I... Oh, I lost my mic. Oh, there we go, we're back. Uh, I think that's why games like um, the Dudes on the Map era Ameritrash stuff um, can sometimes feel so mean, too, is because that that single element of you building something or spending time creating these resources only for someone else to come in and smash them or take them away from you i think that's the a lot of these this game elements that create this resentment and feelings of uh, animosity and i think something like twilight imperium is just basically an animosity generator there's there's <laughs> yeah. no other way to to put the at the amount of hurt feelings i've seen in twilight imperium i've only played it i think three or four times is tremendous <laughs> for sure there is there are those games where you are you're building towards something you have a plan and you're trying to execute your plan but yeah when when there it's a high interaction game and you haven't planned for someone to interfere with it and they do yeah, yeah. oh her hurts and even so, like joel can even speak to this too because uh um something like civ is all about you, when you think about it, you're you're putting down these six units in a spot, and you're hoping no one's going to screw with them if they can. Uh, if you're lucky, you've built them in a place nobody can get to them, or you've gone after anyone who could do it. But 
and this is something that I don't know if I mentioned, but I've been playing a little bit of the 1995 DOS version of the game, and the computer is absolutely ruthless. If you try to build a city and they've got spare units, they will throw two units at you without a second thought to nice. uh, disrupt your city construction. And I was just thinking that you couldn't get away with that with people because the grudges are real and yeah, some people just sure. go tilt on you. You, but, you will uh, be the recipient of every calamity for the rest yeah. of the game. <laughs> Even if someone else does it to them later, if you did yeah. it first. You're, you're the one who they're remembering it for. That's right. Anyway, uh, Harry, what have you been playing? Uh, so as, as far as board games, I uh, have been playing some in person, just uh, uh, Wingspan still with the European Birds expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really nice casual game to play at home. A game that yeah. has no no feel bad moments, yeah. nothing unfair happening, just kind of um, you know chugging along. And you you look at the nice pictures of birds. And Chelsea and I have been playing a lot of two player games, and we're both just trying to beat our previous scores. You know, yeah. see if we can get to a two player high score. Yeah. Um, started playing Diplomacy online with some friends on uh, Backstabber.com, and that's been very intense. All right, this is something I really want to hear you talk about because animosity generators. Funny I mentioned Twilight Fury. Exactly. <laughs> nothing tops diplomacy. Nothing. It is so. Nothing ever goes according to plan, <laughs> and when things don't go according to plan, it feels very unfair. Even though you are also messing up the plans of other players at the same time. Yeah. Which is great. Um. So we've seen we've seen a lot of stuff happen. Uh. If you're not familiar with Diplomacy, you should check it out and play it online with a bunch of friends. I would recommend yeah. Backstabber.com. Um, it's a pretty good one, although I think there are some other websites for playing Diplomacy as well. Um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> we we looked into them, but everyone I know has played Black, Backstabber. So, Well, Backstabber has that element that I, I, I wish there was a version of it for Civ, uh, but because Diplomacy is so rudimentary, you can get away with it, but it's just this very clean, simple interface where all the basic information is right there, and you don't need to know anything else. And I think that, and it's also easy for anyone to just like click on, uh, go to the website. Do you, do you need an account? Uh, you do need an account. Uh, yeah. So we, the person who created the game, they created it and they sent out emails. Yeah. I got an email. There was a link in the email. I clicked the link, created my account, and I joined the game. And okay. I was assigned, I believe, hopefully randomly assigned a country. Yeah, so if if at the bare minimum you can make an account, then you can play Diplomacy Online with all your That's friends. Right. And it's not like I needed to you know, link it with any social media or enter any, enter any inform, information. It's just a username and password. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, set up the game for us. So, I mean, it's it Diplomacy is like a you know simultaneous map control game, which is perfect for the website because we all enter orders together. We have a deadline. It's a 24-hour cycle, so one turn happens every 24 hours, um, and that means every 24 hours I have to enter in an order for each of my units on the map. I have armies and fleets, and I enter in the units, and everyone does it, and then at midnight each night, the game in the back end, it adjudicates, it processes all of the orders, and diplomacy has a method of figuring out which orders succeed and which fail. Um, but you are fighting over territory, so Backstabber has a press function, which I really like, which is just a pretty standard messaging function where you can message individuals, you can create 
threads with multiple people in them and you send messages and basically you spend 24 hours sending messages to everyone else in the game trying to convince them to do things to make and break alliances and to coordinate your moves and then you think you're like okay this is the best i can do and you submit your orders and then you get an email 15 minutes after midnight each night and i usually stay up till c saying that moves have been adjudicated and you see how badly it's gone (laughs) <laughs> so what uh, nation are you playing right now so i'm playing turkey right now and okay. turkey in this game is stuck in the southeast corner of the map because it is uh western europe okay. um and it's going well you start adjacent to austria and you start adjacent to russia i have been waging war on russia for a very long time and uh successfully i should add so I have now expanded into southern Russia, into um, Sevastopol, kind of what is now, I guess, uh, Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, and Ukraine. Um, but I'm also fighting Austria. And this is interesting. Austria is in a really tough position in this game because they're surrounded by enemies, and Austria has had a rough go of it. Because in the very first turn, they moved to capture more area, which lets them build more units. And they were immediately threatened by Russia. And they had to move their units back. So it's oh like they God. missed an entire two turns or a year. Wow. So they, you... they entered 1902 with the same number of territories and units as the very first turn. Are you playing with friends or is this just random? Uh, friends. Some, well, mostly friends of friends, actually. Mm-hmm. They, I am the the seventh player that they got together to put this uh, together, so which is great. So, how good do you think you are? Would you, where would you put yourself in the world of diplomacy? Uh, I think I'm. I mean, I've played the. I am better than most, only because I've played diplomacy before. Mm-hmm. The rules to bl- diplomacy are really simple, but it takes a few games to, I think, understand what that means and all the different things you can do about it. Because yeah. unlike a game like Risk, there's no Troop numbers, you can't have multiple troops. There's no die rolling. Yep. You can only have one unit in each territory. And when my one unit fights your unit, your one unit, we both have a strength of one and nothing happens. Yep. But then I have one unit attacking your one unit and I support it with another unit. Or let's say I actually I convince Joel to support my attack on you. That's when it starts getting interesting. Yeah. So Austria has been... Uh, Austria has been was behind, and then they made this uh, a steadfast alliance with Russia for the longest time. And I kept telling them, like, "Hey, you know, I'm open for an alliance. Just so you know, let's attack Russia <laughs> together." And every turn, he was like, "Nah, no, nah, you know, I I don't want to make I don't want to be too aggressive. I don't I don't want to attack anybody yet. I don't want to declare my intentions." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, sure. Let's wait for the next turn." And then finally, Russia just betrayed him, uh, and it feels great. I feel so vindicated. <laughs> and he probably feels terrible because he's like out of the game now. So Austria's toast. Yeah, I mean he's lost one of his home supply centers, and I think that um, which are the only places you can build new units. And I think he's going to lose one of the remaining two this turn, which is now fall 1903. So it might, it might just be toast. <laughs> is he having a good time, or do you have no idea? I have no idea. I hope he's. It's his very first game. Uh-oh. So actually, in this, you're not you're not really supposed to meta game with diplomacy. You have to resist the urge to say, you know, like, hey, remember when I was ally with you last game? That kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. But it's his first game. I really didn't want to 
attack him very early despite his rough start because I, you know, metagaming, I want him to have a good time so that he'll play again with us next time and we don't have to find another seventh player. Uh, but he's just getting destroyed now. <laughs> I have no idea whether he's having fun. It's, which, uh, which is bad. I guess also at a certain level of uh, game, like when you've played enough of them, I'm not, I think I've played one game of diplomacy in my life, maybe two. The, uh, but my impression is if you know what you're doing, you can definitely see yourself drowning uh, five turns ahead if people just play optimally. And... For sure. And as long as I mean, France is in that position in this game, France is kind of a experienced player. Um, but England and Germany have had this alliance together, and um, Italy betrayed an agreement with France. And so France was being, you know, invaded by Italy and invaded by England and by Germany, and it wasn't a quick thing. It's it's been pretty slow, but unless England betrays Germany and that alliance breaks down, they're toast. And it has slowly been happening. And uh, there's not much they can do about it. I think that has been. We talk about um, how there's the social element of games for me right now is the the really the big one because there's only so much I can get out of the game just sitting down and pushing shits around or moving cubes and whatnot. If it if there's nothing to it, if the game is just kind of playing itself in a sense. But what's kind of cool about diplomacy is that in this situation you're describing, where you have France who's uh, in trouble because of this alliance, it's not a guarantee. So France could talk to or convince England or convince Germany to uh, back off or join them or do something else, or even right. scare the other one to be saying like, "Oh, do you know this guy's approaching me? Like he's getting ready to come after you," and try to like sow dissent there. But there's a social element where maybe mechanically France is in trouble, and if England and Germany just play properly, they can just eat France and be done with it. But socially, France, uh, if they if they were got their silver tongue wagging, could uh, turn the tides of their defeat. But for sure, I, and it's similar actually with Austria here because I have been Austria and I have neither been enemies or allies, but they have been allied with Russia. I'm at war and currently invading Russia, and Russia has now betrayed and kind of backstabbed Austria. And even yeah. though Austria is mostly out of the game, they still have units. And those units, you know, if we can make a deal, I'm really incentivize them to help gain a small foothold back into the game so that yeah. uh, because that they can help me take more provinces. Well, especially if they're desperate like that. If you're saying that Russia is in its territory and it's, it's either do you want to help me and stay in the game or do you want to leave? Exactly. But depending, too, on how frustrated he is, he's just, I don't give a shit. I'm out of here. For sure. And, and I have been, I can certainly understand in this game why Austria didn't ally with me earlier, because with all of these, you know, highly interactive map games, uh, I like to be very cutthroat. And so my offer to Austria in the past has always been this, that I will take a territory which, in all fairness, is Austria's. It's in Austria's starting kind of area. I would take that, but I would help Austria attack Russia and take some of Russia's supply centers. And and I I had portrayed it always in the context of Russia and is is in a position to invade you. Uh, it's kind of a it's going to happen at some point anyway. So the two of us may as well work together and attack them first. And uh, it's finally happened. So 
Yeah. I'm just still chuckling at the, the terms of your first deal that I'm going to take something of yours, but I'm going to help you take someone else's. Yeah, well, it, it, exactly. I mean, normally Austria can take Serbia, which is a supply center in this game. Um, yeah. But in turn one, he moved a unit to Serbia. But then in order to protect one of his supply centers, his home supply centers, he had to move the unit out of Serbia. Mm-hmm. So he didn't take it. How at that point I was saying, okay, well, I mean, if you're going to move out of Serbia, it's empty. Why not? Uh, maybe I should just take advantage of it, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I'm just getting flashbacks, too, because we briefly played a game of Advanced Civ together, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, on Tabletop Simulator. And uh, Joel is currently MIA making dinner, but because uh, he could also talk about this a bit. But um, I, you were playing Egypt, correct? That's right, yeah. So what I noticed was that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, again, going back to the, uh, the DOS game of Advanced Civ I've been playing, the uh, the Egyptian player was doing extremely well in that he got... I, I think Egypt might be one of the, I don't want to say easiest, but one of the, the nicest sort of territory or nations to kind of get because they've got so many of these cities all over the place and they can just explode in uh, city count quite quickly. And I was, I was looking at the uh, AI player and he was even being aggressive and attacking his neighbors sitting at like eight, nine cities. How did he do? really something else there but what did you think of the uh, implementation on tabletop simulator of it yeah i thought it was interesting i uh, my my thoughts are kind of split between tabletop simulator and the fact that it was advanced because i haven't played advanced before oh okay um i thought the tabletop simulator implementation worked well with the exception of trading trading was kind of awkward yeah it would have been helpful to have some kind of <laughs> script to facilitate trading maybe Mm -hmm. um but i think that's solvable if we just allow more time for trading yeah yeah at least like figure out what works what doesn't the difference is in advanced like in mega civilization and western empires which are the versions that i've played before you have three in very rare cases four population in any given province Mm -hmm. um as the cap um, and you have pretty much every civilization has six or seven city sites that they can build on within their kind of default realm of influence. Um, but in advanced, Egypt has every every territory along the Nile has like four or five population it's limit. It's crazy. <laughs> and they have like nine city spots. Yeah. And in the game yeah. we played, I expanded all the way into the Middle East. And then I was like looking at my map and it's like, I didn't. I didn't need to do this at all. This was kind of a waste. Um, and it's weird it that in advanced, I kind of just don't think like it's the the civilizations are not equal in terms of how far they're expected to expand. Yeah, which is um, pretty different from mega civilization, I think. The uh, I think the game we were playing. I could be wrong. It felt like there was too much map space because I didn't feel squeezed at all. You didn't feel squeezed at all. Um, and it, it felt like there was too many territories, so I think we maybe were playing with too much of a map on our side. Or... It could be. I mean, we were down a player, but we were down a player who was not... Like, the two of us, me and you, we expanded. We both felt like we didn't need to expand that quickly to to join our yeah. borders with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's not like... I, I don't think there was a player missing in between us. It It's possible that's just how it is, you know? It might be because again, like I haven't played Advanced in years, 
and uh, so maybe I'm just used to whatever the setup is in uh, Megasiv or whatever. Either way, it was an interesting experience, and I think we're we're attempting to recreate it on Saturday more formally. But the I think what bugged me, and this is why I'm I'm going bouncing back and forth between uh, this and diplomacy in my head, is that the the tabletop simulator just felt so unnecessary. It was like using a howitzer to uh, try to I don't know blow up a barrel or something. It just you you just need something so simple, so um, graphically mundane. You, you don't need physics. You don't need all this wacky stuff of tilting cards and shadows and <laughs> aliasing. It's like it was killing me how overproduced the experience was to just push chits around on a table and pass cards and stuff. And which is funny because me. it's exactly the same as real life, right? Yeah. That's what we're that's what we're doing when we get together and play this game. Yeah. But uh it's just very different um using tabletop simulator. Yeah. I think the best feature by far though is the ability to resize the chits so that you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> on some of these spaces you can just put tiny ones and you can like stack them and you can just kind of go through so the little mechanical you can, aspects you can zoom it. in on the board oh yeah yeah but yeah the trading is definitely the weakest point of trying to play these games uh, virtually and that's something that you i think it, until somebody comes up with a real good way to virtually interact with other people really fix sure. it um so I Harry, will say, um yeah, I've please. also been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering, actually. Good. That's what I was just going to ask you. So and, what's, and what's new with Magic? So yeah, part of the reason I haven't been playing, playing that many board mm-hmm. games is um, a couple things new with Magic. There is a new set that's out, which I have not played, um, but I probably will be playing later this week, mm-hmm. which is just a new set of cards to, to play around with. Um, but I also finished a cube, which is actually very similar. It's It's a set of cards in which to play um, Magic, but it's one that I've created, which is very exciting. Um, And it's a little more complicated, but uh, we've also worked out ways to play it on Tabletop Simulator. And that's actually something we'll be doing later tonight. So how did you get Magic working in Tabletop Simulator? Uh, (laughs) I wish I could... um, I wish I could say I did more, but honestly, I just looked up a bunch of mods in Tabletop Simulator that work very well. (laughs) And we're a little bit lucky because there are fewer components with Magic than in other board games. It's because cards um, and uh, dice, I guess. Exactly, it's just cards and dice. So uh, we have six people, and we are going to be drafting and playing games again tonight. Um, but it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm using a... Someone else has created this table. And it is just a table to play Magic. It, six people can play. They face each other. Um, it has a... In Magic, you know, you play cards and you tap the cards to do things, rotate them mm-hmm. 90 degrees. Um, I will say the table has this really cool, everyone has a button, and when you click the button, it untaps all of your tapped cards. Nice. Which is kind of cool, but it doesn't, It you know, it doesn't rotate the cards that are already untapped, <laughs> which is such a big quality of life improvement. Um, and it also has just has a uh, it has a card importer, which I guess is a tool that someone had developed at some point, and now most of the Magic: The Gathering mods in Tabletop Simulator uh, utilize. And you just use text commands to import a list of cards. So, so I have my cube. The, the cards from though. So I have my cube online on a website called Cube Tutor. <laughs> okay. Um, 
And I open up the tabletop simulator and I start this, I load up this table and I write importer and then I copy and paste the link to my cube on CubeTutor and it imports all 390 cards in my cube, which is crazy. It, uh, it takes about a minute. Wow. Which is really cool. And so it, what, what it's doing, I guess, is scraping a list of the cards off of CubeTutor. But mm-hmm. even cooler, it then goes and it uses Scryfall, which is a website to look up magic cards. It uses Scryfall and it grabs all of the card images for every card that I have. And so it imports just a full digital representation of all 390 cards. And how good do they look? Uh, they look really good. Um, it has a bunch of settings. You can actually change the image quality if you're concerned about performance. Mm-hmm. But like, they, yeah, they look really good. Um, they're just cards. So the rest of it, once you learn the commands, is pretty simple to like shuffle your deck and deal out cards to different players. Um, yeah, it's it's a surprisingly good experience. So when you're drafting with this cube, then how does the process work? Do you drag one of the, the card you want to keep, put it, you put it down on your side, but uh, how do you um, put all the cards together and pass them to your neighbor. So as the as the I guess <laughs> administrator of the draft, I will like import my cube. I'll shuffle it, uh, and then just using Cube Tutor, I'll deal out 15 cards to each player. Um, and it'll go directly into their hands. And then the the table has a separate hidden zone for you to drag your picks um, out of. So you have your pack of 15 cards in your hand, and you drag one card of it into your like second hidden zone which is for all of the cards you'd like to keep and then the other 14 cards you just turn them face down and um you press f to flip them face down and you press g to group them into a pile and then you just leave the pile on the table beside your opponent so this when you're doing the cube too is it simulating the as if you just open a booster so there's rare and uncommons and commons so uh, this table actually has the functionality to do that, which is kind of crazy. Um, the table I, I we have been using, you can actually separate out all of the rares and commons and uncommons and put them into different stacks. And it'll let you determine how many cards from each stack goes into a pack, which is kind of crazy. So you can have a booster pack full of rares if you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can fill around those ratios. For my cube, cool. though, the set of cards that I've made, the rarity doesn't really matter. They're all equally powerful. <laughs> so with regard to the power of this cube, is this the type of thing where supreme knowledge of the game to appreciate them, or could I pick up this cube and just kind of build something half-decent? Uh... <laughs> It's definitely leaning towards the former rather than the yeah. latter, for sure. It, like it is, it is definitely a cube for people who have um, played not just played Magic, but maybe played specifically like draft Magic in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be hard to kind of pick up. They Wizards of the Coast goes to great lengths when they create new sets like the one that just came out to make them fun to play for experienced players but even more importantly make them reasonable and fun to play for new players yeah which means that the complexity is significantly lower that's why you have to have commons in each pack of car uh, cards for this cube i have an opportunity just to really up the power level and and i think it makes it more fun it definitely makes it a lot less approachable but with the people i'm playing with thankfully that's uh, not an issue so you're playing with six people what's the format so we're playing a six-person draft. 
But what has to uh, work then? Like you split off in two, like one v one. So yeah, all six of us will draft together. A typical Magic draft has eight players, but I've actually developed this cube with fewer cards to make it better for a six-player draft. Everyone drafts a deck, and then we'll split up, and we will play against um, in a one v one kind of format. And then after the first game, you'll face someone who has the same record as you. Um, and we'll play two to three matches, and then that's it. And we've just started. Uh, today will be the first time we're doing it, but uh, hopefully meeting weekly. What's your win-loss ratio looking like right now? Uh, I think I am two wins and one loss. And it was about as polarizing as it could be. The The two wins I had, it's it's a best-of-three match. I won the first two games in the match, hands down. Uh, like, not even close. So I was two match wins, four game wins. Felt like I couldn't lose. And I faced the third deck, and... I think I could play a thousand games and not win. <laughs> Why? Because the deck was so good, or your luck was just a specific. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like rock paper scissors or like a weapons triangle from some games. He had um, his deck had the specific kinds of card that interacted very well with mine, whereas other yeah. people didn't. Um, so he had like burn spells and removal to kill small creatures, and I was playing a, a green kind of ramp deck, which oh, really relies on small creatures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, though. That's great. You know, it's funny, because Magic, I have this hate, 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 love relationship with. Every now and then, like, so just our conversation about it right now is making me, boy, plays a Magic right now. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I play a bit of it, and I go, oh, now I remember. <laughs> magic is full of those, we were talking a little bit earlier about unfair or feel-bad moments, and Magic yeah. is full of those moments. Yeah, that's... Um, whether it right whether it's your opponent doing that to you or whether it's just luck, sometimes you draw very poorly and it feels yeah. uh, pretty unfair. Yeah. Um, but you have to get past that, but I think there are also some really really good things happening as well. Yeah. So before we move on from the magic stuff, like what's in this new release that's interesting? What's the gimmick? <laughs> the gimmick is kind of crazy. This is maybe the gimmiest magic set, or yeah, gimmiest magic set they've ever produced. And this That's one is saying kind something, of like, Harry. <laughs> which is definitely saying something like, okay, I guess not not including way back when. Way back when they have a set called Arabian Nights, which is like a thousand and one yeah. Arabian Nights themed, which nowadays is like maybe even kind of offensive, <laughs> which they could not print. That was gimmicky. Uh, they kind of have toned it down into purely fictional uh, settings, but this uh, one is like Godzilla themed. Come on, kaiju and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they actually, I mean, they don't, they don't have Godzilla in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and this is kind of crazy. I don't know who owns the IP to all the Godzilla stuff, but they teamed up with them and they got permission to use the Godzilla IP for special cards. What? Like special, special release or special edition cards for this set. So one of the cards in this set is just a giant lizard creature. Um. And the card itself is not Godzilla, but yeah. they, there is a special edition which is Godzilla. Is and it's the same a... thing with like the giant moth creature. Yeah, it's, it's not Mothra, but yeah. Ex- well, and then they have a they they had the special edition of the card which is actually called Mothra and has the art for Mothra and everything, which is kind of so cool. So when you say special edition, is this something like you had to go to some sort of convention or event to get it? I'm not actually sure. It might be like a digital online thing or something. Oh, uh, okay. 
it sounds ridiculous and uh like does it have this hokey sort of b-movie feel to it or is it playing it straight it has a hokey b-movie feel which i think is kind of good yeah like i think that very much matches my expectations well it's like as soon as you say it like i just i haven't played magic seriously in years but the last what you're describing kind of sounds like the eldrazi stuff where you have these gigantic creatures that uh are coming but that was much more ominous and uh i don't even know if it's similar type of gimmick the idea of having uh just giant monsters that's the whole thing i'm sure there are little monsters that could be used to help you get the big ones out too for sure yeah it is uh yeah and they like fight each other in these big kind of battles that (laughs) in which the bystanders get kind of (laughs) destroyed um there are 19 i just i had to look it up there are 19 special godzilla uh ip versions of magic cards from this set um which they've i guess in collaboration with toho who must own the ip there it is um, yeah. three of the 19 are japanese exclusives but they wow. are they are physical cards that you can get um i can't imagine what those will be going for on the market so. <laughs> yeah i mean if any of these see a lot of play in the popular magic formats then probably a lot yeah i've been uh, creeping here by the way but that all sounds just awful <laughs> <laughs> How much are you paying for this stuff? Probably a lot. I think that in order to get the special Godzilla version, it's as a box topper, which means you have to buy a 36 booster pack box of Magic the Gathering, which probably runs you like 130 bucks right now. You know, I don't think you're going to get the cards anyway. I don't think I would mind um, playing Magic if I could just proxy everything. I can do that, right? Right. Yeah, just, you know, print. Is that what you do, Harry? That, uh, yeah, I I will not advocate crime. listeners of this show <laughs> crime, but uh, yes, uh, maybe. Actually, I mean, we were just talking earlier, uh, Joel, you might have missed it, about um, playing Magic magic on Tabletop Simulator. But uh, like, the, I have been using a tool that just imports Magic cards into Tabletop Simulator. Are there a bunch can... of servers, or are you just playing with your buds? Just playing with a bunch of my buds. Um, but we're going to do our first weekly scheduled one tonight. And we're importing all the cards. They're all digital. So obviously we're not uh, not having to purchase them, which is good. Because I think I did a cost estimate for this cube that I just built. And it was, I think, in the realm of like five grand. So <laughs> certainly won't be building it. Well, you know what? And the funny thing is, let's pretend that you did own this cube in reality. Like, you had the physical copy of every single... It's not really helping you play it with your friends online. So, Exactly. And I kind of like... Uh, I'm also going to proxy it in person. I have a friend who works at a print shop, conveniently. Uh, I won't say who, because it's definitely still illegal. <laughs> uh, but... If I have a proxied version of this cube, uh, I would feel comfortable bringing it to something like Gen Con um, or to a Grand Prix, which is a magic competitive event, and just playing with people. But if I had the real cards, no, no way I would let these people, ha- you know, put their dirty paws on my uh, my three hundred dollar <laughs> magic cards. You give them white gloves, and you play within like double exactly, and like lock them up, chain their legs to the table so they can't leave. <laughs> Jack, have you talked about Vassal yet? Uh, no, I was going to wait for you before. Uh, so we, we've got a couple minutes to talk about it. But um, 
so Joel and I got to play with um, play with uh, Michael, uh, one of the Toronto crew guys, um, a Phil Eklund game, High Frontier. We're playing the edition, and we were playing it on a service called Vassal. And Vassal is kind of what I was I was lamenting to Harry about how unnecessarily uh, complicated and resource intensive tabletop simulator is for something really let's agree it's pretty basic it's just like moving chits and cards and stuff around uh, vassal is basically exactly for that except it's really focused on these let's be honest ultra nerdy games that nobody in the right mind would play on tabletops probably because it'd be so outrageously annoying to play and you log in it looks, it looks like, like it was founded in 2013 uh, and it used to just be called VASL, Virtual Advanced Squad Leader. So I'm starting to f- figure out why these guys are. Yeah, because it's it's really used for these um, hex and chit war games. And if you look at the, just like tabletop similar, you kind of uh, I don't know what you want to describe them as if they even call them modules, but you these vassal modules that you just download and you run them, and you can host online games of them. Uh, so you're the game master. And you set it up, and you go from there. So the, the similarities are very... They're, they're pretty strong between the two. Whereas Tabletop Simulator is a physics engine, masquerading as something else. Vassal is really... Uh, it is for playing these types of board games, and it, everything is built from the ground up. So you have to really program your own sort of systems and set up all these uh, ways to hand out cards and um and trade with them and spots and so it's extremely ugly and will scare someone away so ugly in fact harry i think when you were when you were uh, around when we were playing on sunday afternoon i asked you to come check it out because i just thought it's worth just looking at how ugly yeah. it is and i had i have a picture i can send you but i have my all of my work monitors at home so i have three monitors full screen display on my laptop and they're all full of things <laughs> because there are just so many. I mean, that's not just Vassal. That's, that's uh, the game that we were playing. But uh, we it's can hilarious. talk more about that. It I'm looking at uh, screenshots now, and it just looks like an application from, like, 1991. It, it uh, looks like somebody, boot, like, you, you went over to your, uh, your, your uncle's house in the late 90s, and he still had his. Uh, Pentium 4 or whatever. Yeah, he, yeah. He booted this guy up. It's like, check it out. I'm playing with my friend from college. <laughs> it's cool, though. I'm looking through the list of modules. They have a lot of modules. It looks like a lot of war games, specifically. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, which is makes sense. I uh, Tabletop simulator, I often amuse myself by building towers or pyramids of dice and then throwing coins at it to knock them over. Yeah. Which is nice if you have to play Rhino Hero or like Terror in Meeple City, but for most board games, you don't need advanced physics engines. No, exactly. And so Vassal is very primitive, um, but it's powerful for um, being... If you want to do it, you could probably program it in Vassal, but it's not intended to be something that if for these very flashy games, like I'm just trying to think of something like Scythe in Vassal, you could do it. It'd be, you'd be basically just moving uh, circles with maybe a picture, if you're lucky, uh, of the mech into spots, and the resources would be little uh, chits and stuff. So, 
you're you're losing a lot of the flash, but you're what you're gaining is, I guess, a, a very uh, streamlined uh, resource low. The overhead um, on it is just remarkably low that anyone could do it, and I think yeah. that's the appeal to it. And the game we played, High Frontier Third Edition, based off of how it looked on Vassal, how old do you think that game is, Jack? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure it's probably from like five years ago. It's 2017. Yeah, I would have thought it was like a 2007 game by the look of it. It is just it's it is a hilariously complicated board to look at, and then you think, oh, how can it get worse? Then you look at the cards. (laughs) Then you look at. But don't worry, Harry. Four E's on Kickstarter. (laughs) With with about four hundred thousand pledged already. Yeah. And also PAX Viking, which looks incredible, and the reprint of PAX Renaissance, which I have not played, but again, the Toronto crew really likes it, but uh, it looks ugly as sin. This new version has a nice-looking map, and it looks like the cards look a little flashy for me. Like, why could you not just, like, look at what Cole did with PAX Mirror 2 in the 2nd <laughs> edition. Just, like, just do that. Just make it look good. But uh, I don't think Phil cares. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, You've seen a picture but... of Phil Eklund. He looks like... Uh... Joe Exotic a little bit. I didn't really get that. I thought. I guess I'll have to take another look at it. I again, I just keep going back to your crazy uncle. That. Uh, yeah, he's oh, he's I, a cowboy. Yeah. But yeah, High Frontier. Joel and I played. Um, it, it was four hours of it, I think, which was crazy. Um, and I don't think. I, I think I understand in principle what I'm doing now. I don't think i understand how to do most things in that game still i feel like i the training wheels are we left earth yeah how many turns it take how many hours before we left earth joel two it was it was all almost two hours before we even finished getting the rules explained to us because he was like just one more thing just one more thing and credit to mike he's an amazing teacher and he's taught us a whole bunch of complicated board games like john company and imperial and everything like that and usually it just goes smoothly as soon as he's done maybe we missed the flavor of john just jumping in and saying oh and by the way this is a great way to lose yeah everyone else just kind of uh, (laughs) chiming in with oh i screwed this up or don't do that the problem is it's just What's that? High Frontier. 4.7 out of 5 weight on Board Game Geek. And that's... I don't even know if that's accurate because... Scraping the surface. I... Just look at the chart. Just look at the player chart, Harry. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so anyone... This isn't really good radio, but look up High Frontier and then you can know what we're talking about. But I I firmly believe in the whole digital gaming experience in general is that it is... It's not the same. You lose so much. It's not a video game uh, where you can just kind of tell somebody what to do and kind of do it, figure it out themselves. It's when you're sitting there, especially using something like Vassal to figure this out, it is next to impossible just kind of like because, like what Joel was saying, where you need like a four or five monitor setup just so you could see everything at once. And you, you take for granted how much you sw- you're, you're looking between. Other people's boards, the rules, your own player boards, the map, uh, knowing where tokens are when you can't actually see it all at once. And you have to zoom in and you're scrolling around this map and you're, oh, I got to move over to this window and look at stuff. Draw me two cards, Mike. Uh, Mike, you actually dealt me the entire deck. How do we fix that? And just little things like this. It's For sure. It can, it can be overwhelming. 
I also find it uh, really difficult to learn games online. Um, yes. And I think it's mostly because of, or not mostly, but especially because of voice chat. I mean, if you have six people in person, you can hold three different conversations around yes. the same table. Yes. But online, it has to be, it, it, it is a single conversation, always. Yeah. Uh, How which we just did... makes it harder to ask rule clarifications. And Is that because, it's not that the software can't do it because... Everyone could be talking at once, but is it just like a, a digital cacophony? That's the problem that you can't, without seeing the other person in person, you can't really isolate what you're listening to or just kind of get blended in with different noise levels. Yeah, and maybe it's an ear thing. Like if you, if if every each voice were directional, maybe you could tune them out with your mind. You know? Ah, yeah, yeah, it's going blasted right into your ears. All the uh, time. But I'm stereo. Like I hear both of you equally as loud in both ears. So yeah. Well, anyway, we're. I think we're gonna take another crack at this on Sunday, and maybe yeah. maybe settle another planet. We'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I just want like Harry to hear. Like, I wish we had recorded Mike teaching it to us. And I just wanted to Harry to hear Mike. Uh, so I've got it up on the screen here. Uh, calculating, um, filling up your tank where you follow along the red line versus fuel cost. And then obviously you, when you fill up your tank, you get a little bit heavier. So you're, you're spending a bit more fuel, but then <laughs> you spend fuel and then you get lighter. And then yeah. once you're lighter, you're spending less fuel and you go along this cheaper ultimate track. ultimate realism. Oh. Well, I think Eklund was actually involved in rocketry, right? Yes, he's a rocket scientist. So yeah, as far as I'm <laughs> so it's legit. This is his passion. And uh, you can see it coming through because uh, we're almost out of time. But the last... When you look at the cards for all these things you're building, because you, you have to assemble your rocket, and the rocket has different sections, and you have propulsion, and you have these uh, robots, that, slave robots, essentially, and you have factories you're building. But each of the cards associated with them has a, like maybe two or three relevant parts of the game on it. The middle part is dominated by this uh, blueprint schematic with formulas and measurements on it that I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you're into this, you care about, but you look at it and you're, math. and it just makes you go, what am I looking at? I feel like somebody is making fun of me because it's totally pointless information. Yeah. And this is just propelling the rocket. Like there is so much more to the game. There are bids, there's yep. uh, patents, there's building things on earth versus building things in, uh, in space and then you've got to boost things out of lower earth orbit and you got to have your weight lower than your total thrust and oh man there's a like, lot going on we, we know i think i feel like we know like 30 percent of the games yeah like, that's so fair. much more and as far as on winning the, the game or getting victory points no <laughs> like, forget it i don't know how, i don't know how any of that works <laughs> i think you, the problem is you got to approach it like any game you're learning winning or losing means a little i understand what i'm actually doing and as far as i'm concerned I could win High Frontier tomorrow and make as much a difference tomorrow. It means nothing. But on that note, we're out of time. This was, I think, thanks to Craig. Big shout out to Craig Chat on Discord. Way better than our previous recording attempt. Audacity sucks. Anyone who uses Audacity for something at home. Let's hope Craig comes through with a file in the end. Craig, don't let us down. Because... If not, then it was really nice talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a good chat. So I'm going to go. It is soup time because it's cold nice. outside. Freezing I outside. Also made, I made a taco soup. 
Oh, that sounds really nice. Harry, what do you have for dinner? Oh, you already mentioned Ethiopian. Some Ethiopian takeout. Mm. Yeah, it sounds really good. There's an Ethiopian place in Guelph that I've been meaning to try for years, and I keep forgetting. I think it's like an international takeout day to encourage people to... Was it? Although nobody needs any encouragement right now. No. And the last thing I'll say is the ICC is having a big uh, takeout thing on Friday. So put in your orders if you want some uh, Italian Canadian club. Nice. All right. All right. Take care. Bye, guys. Talk to you later. How do we get it to leave? It's like I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I love that we all left. <laughs> and then we just I, left. I, I wish I had done here. that. I think you still just do Craig leave, but I think you have to do it, maybe. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so I'm just going to let me download the file before I do anything silly. Okay, I'm going to go eat while.